0: Hello, Jeremy. <laughs> hey, Jerry. We're back, baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why'd you stop yourself?
1: <laughs> I, uh, it's a family show. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I am still not used to writing 2024 on anything yet.
1: I. The number of times I've written 23 instead of 24 has been <laughs> embarrassing.
0: What story... Shaped your childhood. Do you have a favorite or a most important children's book or myth or story uh or or teenage read or tween mm. obsession that had an impact on the person you are now?
1: Ooh. Wow.
0: All right. That's, while you're thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, While you're cool. thinking about Hiddiate it, moment on that. I yeah. will. Uh, I'll share mine. Okay, that because I have one that kind of prompted this question. Because today, of course, in this episode, we're talking about Harry Potter, mm. and for mm-hmm. so many young people, including two of my children, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Harry Potter may well be the answer to this question. Yeah, what story shaped your childhood or really impacted you that sort of thing? And so for me, it was when I was in the middle of middle school in seventh grade is when I first remember, uh, I I was always nerdy, I always loved to read, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it was in middle school that I sort of discovered fantasy as a genre right, of right. book. And specifically, I remember reading Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Song. Anne McCaffrey wrote a series of books. And when I say a series, I mean there was like over 20 of them Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. set on this fictional planet named Pern, P-E-R-N, Pern, in which there was they had uh, uh, a native species that looked like miniature dragons. And the original inhabitants of Pern, the original human inhabitants of Pern that moved there, the colonists that that. Uh, moved to Pern to make it their home, genetically engineered these, uh, what ended up becoming known as fire lizards. They genetically engineered them up to be the size of 747s, to be (laughs) actual dragons that then humans bonded with telepathically because of the intelligence of Mm -hmm. the genetically engineered dragons. They bonded telepathically to become dragon riders to save the planet from a biological scourge that would periodically fall from a a neighboring planet whose erratic orbit brought it near enough to Pern on a quasi-regular basis mm. that they needed defense against this uh this this biological attack, basically. Mm. Okay. okay. And in addition to a cornerstone trilogy that's called the Dragon Riders of Pern, simultaneously she had Another trilogy that I think became known as the Harper Hall trilogy, okay. because while she eventually wrote a prelude book about the original colonists and how all of this came to be, the mm-hmm. main storyline uh, or of the of most of the books set on Pern happened hundreds of years after the original colonists and the culture, the civilization that resulted from the way the colonists responded to this biological threat resulted in sort of a a fairly medieval level culture. So okay. instead okay. of so that so they had guilds. Um so the so the dragon so they had on one hand the dragon riders that was their own guild and they had their own place to live and then there were the lords mm-hmm but then they would also have guilds for the various skills so there would be the fishermen's guild and the ironworking right, right, guild right. you know the blacksmith guild and one of those guilds was called the harper hall harpers were the musicians who um who held and taught the culture of pern to the young people so a harper's job in a hold mm-hmm. was to be both entertainer and teacher of the young people The Harper Hall trilogy, which consisted of Dragon Song, Dragon Singer, and then Dragon Drums were the three books of this trilogy, told the story of a young woman and in the third book, a young man, who were Harpers. But see, part of the medievalness of the setting is that gender roles had sort of concretized stereotypically sexist. It tells the story of a young woman named Mentally. Who was basically a musical prodigy, but she grew up in this little fishing hold where her father was the holder, so she was important in the hold because she was the daughter of the holder, the daughter of the guy in charge, but being the daughter the fish, the, in this little fishing hold, right. the father held these stereotypically sexist views in which Harpers were men. Because they were the teachers, and they were the entertainers, and they were men. And it was not a woman's place right, to teach right. the young people, because that is such an important job to do that you can't entrust it to, to women. Mm-hmm. And mentally story is about how she broke free of okay. that. She ended up, uh, in Dragon Song, she runs away. Her father oh beats her with a belt because oh she... Presumes to create music is basically the uh, her sin. Right. So she runs away from home, finds this cave by the waterside to live in, and in this cave, stumbles upon a fire lizard clutch that hatches, and she she ends up imprinting a whole bunch of fire lizards. And then she, but she is discovered at the end of that book. She's discovered by a dragon rider, who then takes her to where the dragon riders live and then the second book and this is the one that i identify as to my uh identity was dragon singer which is the second book in the trilogy is the story of mentally begin, begins that book living in the place where dragons live but her musical talent of course because it's too big and too great becomes known and so and so she is Taken, So the Master Harper of Pern, the one who's in charge of the whole Harper Guild, comes to learn of her talent and takes her back to the Harper Hall. And the story of that book is how she acclimates to the Harper Hall, to living in this guild hall of music. At the time, I played the tuba Mm -hmm. in band, and music was a very important part of my life. And in the middle of seventh grade, about the time I encountered this book, we moved from Houston, Texas where we had been living back to southern New Jersey uh where where i had been born but right, where right. we had left because of my dad's job this story of this young girl being relocated to a whole new place and having to completely rebuild her life and and make entirely new friends and figure out who was her enemies and who she could trust and who she couldn't and what was her place in the world, Mm -hmm. that book became very important to me because at the same time I was reading it, I was being moved to a whole new place where I'd have to make whole new friends, figure out who I could trust and how I could. It's very much one of those typical find your friends learn you know embrace your own talents find right, your place right. in the world kind of a thing hmm. it's a beautiful story anyway and that became very much you know my quest to figure out who i was and where i wanted to be and who who i could trust and who i could love and who who was on my side versus not that was that was sort of the story that shaped me do you have any stories from your <laughs> tween years childhood teen years or whatever that sort of shaped you or, or is central to, to you.
1: (laughs) It's, it's kind of hard to follow up (laughs) with the, the, the grand description of, of uh, something that obviously is very, very um, big in your life. Something that, that was very influential. I've been thinking there's, there's a few things that sort of kind of fit the mold in a traditional sense. I too also excelled in English like you did in school. And I, I had, I had a couple of influential teachers, one teacher and I'm I'm forgive me, I don't remember her name off the top of my head. She had us read Beowulf. Actually. Oh yes. And Beowulf, for anyone that doesn't really know what Beowulf is, it is an ancient fantasy story it, it was it was written all in in old english uh-huh. uh so it was it was from the time period that that where the the norse and the uh anglos and the saxons were all kind of fighting over the same uh the you know the same scottish locks essentially and and the the same parts of of northern europe there it's it's one of those fantasy legends that literally as old as as civilization in some ways the idea that even at that time you know they there were things that people were afraid of but still were able to make it a form of entertainment because it was it was originally verse it was a an, an epic poem but it also encompassed so much of fears that those people had fear of the unknown, fear of, of losing what you have worked so hard for, what you fought so hard for. And those, those same sentiments still echo today in people. They've, but those, those fears are still here today, maybe in a less primal viewpoint. Those kinds of things left a deep impression on me. Even though I may not necessarily remember the words of it, I remember how they made me feel. Again, I remember. Well, how those I, love, made me I love, I love
0: the, I love the idea of Beowulf because yeah. Beowulf is the prototypical. I mean, it is it is the archetype of the heroic journey, the her, yes. he, the hero's yes. quest. It is, it is like one of the earliest. It is, it is one of the foundational hero's quest myths. You know that story arc, that storytelling, that idea of the hero who is stronger and better and more honorable right, than yes. everyone else who comes in and saves the day. I mean, that permeates so much of so much it's, of it, the franchises that we love and talk an about and, <laughs> yes exactly exactly so that's a that's a that's an awesome one you know we we talk personally about the the importance of integrity and what is strength and how do we use our strength how do we uh, how do we deploy our strength and mm-hmm. on behalf of whom uh, do we deploy strength and uh and so much of that comes comes back to that idea of beowulf and the hero and uh and I have I have complete respect for that. I I <laughs> I also I also have very fond memories of of Beowulf. I uh, Beowulf for president. There you go. All right, that so, brings us then to the subject of this episode, which is Harry Potter. But before we discuss it, we must bring back for our second season our beloved theme song. Jeremy, hit the button. Oh, wait, is it th- is it this button?
1: Oh, oh, this button? <laughs> Hold on, let me try this. Uh, no, wrong button here.
0: We have never given credit for the composer of our theme song. It is called Space Theme, and I don't have the composer in front of me. (laughs) But it is called Space Theme, and we acquired it from uh, Audio Jungle, is the name of the website, where if if you Google Audio Jungle and go to, I believe it's and Vato Elements is the umbrella that Audio Jungle is, a, is the audio component of all of these wonderful audio and video components for sale, royalty free. Uh, but if you search space theme on Audio Jungle, then you yourself could own a copy of Two Guys in a Franchise theme song. When we turn to the topic of this week's episode yes. which is harry potter
1: harry potter you're a
0: wizard harry so jeremy yes are you a wizard or a muggle <sighs> uh, sadly i'm a muggle I know my Better. wife my wife has a t-shirt that says Hogwarts wasn't hiring so I heal muggles instead because she's a nurse. So tell us of your relationship your origin story with uh Harry Potter as a franchise books movies yeah. toys blankets pillows So,
1: like so many of my origin stories, they're very different than I think most people. I knew of the You're saying you're
0: weird. I am. I put my stamp on that. Go (laughs) for it. Yes.
1: I was aware of the existence of Harry Potter in the years that I would have typically been reading him, middle teen, well, late teenage years and into my 20s. My mother was, was a big fan of them. Um, I just, I couldn't get into it. And I I can't explain to you why other than just male bravado possibly about, you know, oh, it's just kids stories. I think the first time I ever had any kind of serious discussion about Harry Potter, my mother had just gotten a uh, Half-Blood Prince and she was just finishing it up. She, she binge read it in like three days. Go into a room and I'm talking to her and and she's reading her book and and she's like she's visibly upset. I said, "What's what's going on?" And she's like,
2: "Spoiler Spoiler Spoiler Spoiler
0: Snape just killed Dumbledore. What? And- whoa! Spoiler alert! Holy crap. She just, she just, she just dropped that bomb. She just
1: dropped that bomb. Whoa. Yeah.
0: Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. That only works if you say it before you drop the bomb, Jeremy.
1: Sorry. I'm not good at this thing. (laughs) That's like saying a
0: bomb is coming after it's already exploded. Go ahead. So,
1: uh, (laughs) and even then not knowing anything about it, really, I was like, oh yeah, that, that doesn't sound good.
2: (laughs) That does Uh not sound good. Yeah.
1: I don't know i was bored one day maybe i was sick homesick from work or something and i just picked up the first one and i i read like the first chapter of it and then i left it at that and then shortly before my oldest was born i was i was uh working on an air conditioner to use bookstore and they had harry potter and the sorcerer's stone on their half price clearance table it was uh, a used book you uh-huh. know and i at this time, of course, they were everywhere, so you know, it wasn't sure. unusual. And it was like seventy-five cents or something like that. Uh-huh, so I'm like, yeah. you know what?
0: <sighs> God bless you bookstores.
1: Yes. So I, I I dropped three uh three quarters on it and I, I read it and then I couldn't get enough of it.
0: Ah, it was one of and those so, where you started and yeah. you couldn't put it down?
1: Yeah, I started reading it and so fun. then I found myself, you know, unable to find the other ones quickly enough, so I would download the PDF. You know, a bootleg PDF. <laughs> I'm so sorry, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> and Two I, guys in
0: the franchise does not advocate piracy or intellectual property theft.
1: If it makes anybody feel better, I went and bought the full set, okay? <laughs> yeah, there you so, go.
0: That's right, but I was, that's right. I,
1: I couldn't find them fast enough. You know, I wasn't able to get out to stores or anything there, like there that. There is
0: this thing called a library. Perhaps I need to reintroduce you to it, but go ahead.
1: yeah. 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 <laughs> So I would, I well, so I what I would do though is I would finish it, and I'm like I got to start the next one, and you know, it's usually while I was on my lunch break out in the middle of somewhere that I didn't have a library card for or anything like that, so I'd go on on my little work laptop, and I would find the PDF for it, and I would start reading it, and then once I'd get like halfway through it, I'd get the book or something like that, but it was just it was a fever pitch to try and catch up, yeah. um, and I've. Finally caught up and finished it. Actually, as the last book was coming out, I, I had caught Oh, up and, very, and, fun. Yeah, very fun. Yeah, so I, I, I got to read it with the same excitement that everybody else did. Oh, that's so and cool. And at the, the same time, you know, the movies were coming out and things like yeah, that. Um, yeah. I, I of course, formed my own opinions about the movies like everybody else did. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: uh, All right, so I have a question oh, for yes. you. Based on what you just said, <laughs> I have found... So here's a thing that I am fascinated and, by when it comes to books and book series, yes. right? Your story illustrates something that I think is, is really interesting, which is books come into our lives and sometimes they come into our lives at the wrong time and they don't stick. Right. Whereas then when the right book comes at the right time It just, it just, it has this, like, we get obsessed with it. I have experienced that over and over in my life. Yes. And what's funny is, for the longest time, it took until I was, like, I want to say maybe within the last 10 to 15 years, I would always feel guilty when I would start a book, and I would know it's a good book, but it's not the right time for me to be reading that book. Right, And right it just thing. sits there on my nightstand for the longest time until I finally, like, have to own up to the fact that I am going to fail in reading this book. <laughs> and I set this book aside, and then I move on to other books. It took me the longest, like I said, within maybe the last 10 to 15 years to, to realize – I was being overly silly in feeling guilty about not reading a book because I can always pick it up years later or at another time Mm. when if it hits at the right time, then I will read the whole series and love it and and devour it and everything else. Whereas that first time it just wasn't the right time for that book. And I would feel guilty putting (laughs) those books aside. And that would, that would gnaw away at me a little bit. Like, like, I should have read this series, but I haven't yet. I, I know <laughs> that all of my friends say this series is amazing, but it just didn't work for me. What's wrong with me? As opposed to it was just the wrong time or that sort of thing. I know uh, yeah, that for a yeah. long time I was crazy. Did you ever experience that kind of crazy? Em- embarrassingly enough,
1: Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, Embarrassingly enough, I bought it uh, and it sat on my bookshelf for years and i kept looking at it and i'm like man i am such a jerk for not reading what is arguably one of the funniest books <laughs> ever written i am such a jerk i really should pick that up one day it's
0: funny how we moralize yeah the consumption of stories right you know it's what like, I mean? it's how we, like how it's we a... guilt and shame get a, get mixed into th- it all
1: i i i think that douglas adams would find that particularly hilarious <laughs> <too>. <laughs> that's right, that's i'm right. sure he would <laughs> uh, i'm sure he would be laughing and holding his sides with that but yeah no i have to do that <laughs> shaker's guide to the galaxy too <laughs> and then i read it and i'm like the hell is wrong with me why didn't i read this sooner?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yep, i I've, I've had that kind of experience yeah yeah do you want to talk about anything else in terms of your relationship with Harry Potter? You said you you've watched so, you watched the, I've movies, watched the movies. You um, have your opinions about them. I, Any yeah. in general you want to share? Because we're going to talk about one in particular. Yeah, of course yeah. our our wheel selection for this episode. So, but
1: the the only other thing, and and this is what makes it a, a complex and contentious relationship with me and the movies is uh, the Wizarding World of, World of Harry Potter at Universal Studios. Uh huh. I. Enjoy that. Enjoy it so much. Yeah. And um, I don't necessarily have the same emotions about the movies that I do about the park. Uh, but I still enjoy the movies. I just have to temper myself a little bit. It because you know, you have these pictures from reading the book in your mind of what you expect things to be. Right. And you you're like, well, why did they leave that out of the movie? Uh-huh. Why? Why? It was so easy to leave it in there, and then you know, uh, then another party. Why did they put that in there? <laughs> you know what? They did a really good job with that. But why did they do that? So I have to kind of temper that with myself, depending on my mood at the time. It it will vary as to how much I will enjoy it or be annoyed by it or, you know, which sometimes- it are we
0: talking about the movies?
1: Yes, the movies. Okay, I gotcha. uh, For
0: um, more conversation between the two guys about movie book adaptations, see a previous (laughs) episode. (laughs) All about book adaptations when we talked about Jurassic Park episode. Yes. That was a shameless plug by Jerry. Seriously, listen to it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you have not had the opportunity to go to Universal... The Wizarding World of Harry Potter. I highly recommend it. And I highly recommend Butterbeer. You know? <laughs> and if they could make uh, like a, a an alcoholic version. Of
0: I highly it. recommend the Giant Chocolate Frogs.
1: <laughs> oh, this, this is true. You know, my kids all have wands. And we've all uh-huh. been sorted into our houses. Save and for the- to, to also continue on with my relationship to it, I am currently wearing a Deathly Hallows t-shirt. Uh I did also have a uh Quidditch shirt. So I mean I, I I thoroughly enjoy it and I love all of the lore behind it. It it's one of those things, it's a love-hate with the, the movies.
0: Oh, so, okay. Alright, yeah. alright. Yeah. Which uh you told me prior to starting to record that you have some some opinions about oh, this I movie do. we're about to talk about. I do. Which is a perfect segue because our next segment is to discuss our Wheel of Random episode selection, which was, prior to our season hi- one hiatus, was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, since they split the Deathly Hallows into two movies. So, before we discuss the final Harry Potter movie in the movie series, let me throw some info facts at you. The movie was directed by David Yates, based on a screenplay by Steve Cloves, based on the novel by J.K. Rowling. Produced by David Heyman, David Barron, and J.K. Rowling. Starring David Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, Helena Bonham Carter, Robbie Coltrane, Warwick Davis, Ralph Fiennes, Michael Gambon, John Hurt, Jason Isaacs, Gary Oldman, Alan Rickman, Maggie Smith, David Thewlis, Julie Walters, and basically every famous British actor in existence. Cinematography was by <laughs> Edward Serra. Edited by Mark Day. Was distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures produced by Warner Brothers Pictures and Heyday Films released originally July 15. Oh, sorry, 15 July 2011 in the UK, uh, out and the United States with a running time of 130 minutes. On a budget of $250 million, that is the shared budget, with Part 1. So Part 1 and Part 2 had a shared budget of $250 million. The box office so far is at about $1.342 billion. That is with a B. To give a recap of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, I have yet again decided to go to our good friends on youtube movies in minutes provide this recap
3: after burying dobby harry potter asks the goblin griphook to help him ron weasley and hermione granger break into bellatrix lestrange's vault at gringotts bank suspecting a horcrux may be there griphook agrees in exchange for the sword of gryffindor Wandmaker Ollivander tells Harry that two wands taken from Malfoy Manor belong to Bellatrix and to Draco Malfoy, but Malfoy's has changed its allegiance to Harry. In Bellatrix's vault, Harry discovers the Horcrux is Helga Hufflepuff's cup. He retrieves it but Griphook snatches the sword and abandons the trio, leaving them cornered by security. The three release the dragon guardian and flee on its back. Harry sees a vision of Voldemort killing goblins, including Griphook, and learns Voldemort is aware of the theft. Harry also realizes there is a Horcrux at Hogwarts somehow connected to Rowena Ravenclaw. The trio apparate into Hogsmeade, where Aberforth Dumbledore reluctantly instructs the portrait of his deceased younger sister, Ariana, to fetch Neville Longbottom. leads the trio through a secret passageway into Hogwarts. Severus Snape hears of Harry's return and warns staff and students of punishment for aiding Harry. Harry confronts Snape, who flees after Minerva McGonagall challenges him to a duel. McGonagall gathers the Hogwarts community for battle. At Luna Lovegood's insistence, Harry speaks to Helena Ravenclaw's ghost, who reveals that Voldemort performed dark magic on her mother's diadem, which is in the Room of Requirement. In the Chamber of Secrets, Hermione destroys the Horcrux cup with a basilisk fang. In the Room of Requirement, Draco and two friends attack Harry, but Ron and Hermione intervene. One of Draco's friends casts a fiend Fire Curse and, unable to control it, is burned to death while Harry and his friends save Malfoy and other friend. Harry stabs the diadem with the basilisk fang and Ron kicks it into the room of requirement where it is destroyed. As Voldemort's army attacks, Harry, seeing into Voldemort's mind, realizes that Voldemort's snake Nagini is the final horcrux. After entering the boathouse, the trio witness Voldemort telling Snape that the Elder Wand cannot serve Voldemort until Snape dies. He then orders Nagini to kill Snape. Before dying, Snape tells Harry to take his memories to the pensive. In The Chaos at Hogwarts, Fred Weasley, Remus Lupin, and Nymphadora Tonks have been killed. Harry learns from Snape's memories that while Snape despised Harry's late father James, who had bullied him, he loved his late mother Lily. Following her death, Snape worked secretly with Dumbledore to protect Harry from Voldemort because of his love for Lily. Harry also learns that Dumbledore was dying and wanted Snape to kill him, and that Patronus Doe he saw in the woods that led him to the sword had been conjured by Snape. Harry discovers that he himself became a Horcrux when Voldemort originally failed to kill him, and that Harry must die to destroy the piece of Voldemort's soul within him. Harry then surrenders himself to Voldemort in the Forbidden Forest. Voldemort casts the killing curse upon Harry, who finds himself in Limbo, where Dumbledore's spirit meets him and explains that the part of Voldemort within Harry was killed by Voldemort's own curse. Harry then returns to his body, determined to defeat Voldemort once and for all. Voldemort announces Harry's apparent death to everyone at Hogwarts and demands they all surrender. As Neville gives a defiant response and draws the Sword of Gryffindor from the Sorting Hat, Harry reveals he is still alive. The Malfoys and many Death Eaters abandon Voldemort, while Harry confronts Voldemort in a duel throughout the castle, Molly Weasley kills Bellatrix in the Great Hall, and Neville decapitates Nagini, making Voldemort vulnerable. Harry and Voldemort's fight ends with Voldemort's own killing curse rebounding and obliterating him. After the battle, Harry explains to Ron and Hermione that the Elder Wand had recognized him as its true master because he had disarmed Draco, who earlier had disarmed its previous owner Dumbledore, but instead of claiming the Elder Wand, Harry breaks and discards it. 19 years later, Harry, Ginny, Ron, Hermione, and Draco proudly watch their own children leave for Hogwarts at King's Cross Station.
0: And that is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 in 4 minutes from our friends at Movies in Minutes on YouTube. A link will be provided and the video itself will be embedded on our website on the post for this episode. Hmm. With all of that in mind, then, Mr. Jeremy, what was your rewatch reaction to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2? Well,
1: I enjoyed the film. I did. Despite what it's going to sound like
0: in just a minute here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I did enjoy it.
0: (laughs) Disclaimer. Disclaimer.
1: I have the same feeling about Deathly Hallows Part 2 as I do about Part 1. It feels very rushed. Very, very rushed. Mm. There was no scene that was more than, you know, where the camera didn't cut some, somewhere else uh, that was longer than, like, maybe two or three seconds, honestly. Mm. At least that's what it felt like to me. Mm. That being said, I think that the movie did a much better job of kind of conveying some of the things that were implied in the books. So about, like, the wand and everything like that with the mm. Elder Wand. They did a much better job uh, of conveying what, you know, why the Elder One really did not work. Because, you know, in, in the book, it is Voldemort and Harry circling each other. And Harry's trying to convince Tom Riddle that, you know, this is why you have failed every single time. And in the movie, he's like... Let's just do this, you know, let's let's fight and the 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 flight around the castle and everything like that. Personally, I I like the way that it happened in the book better, mm. especially the the idea that at the end of the book Voldemort is just a corpse. He is a man like anybody else, so ordinary in death. I think conveys a much bigger message than him drifting off as ashes but at the same time it was it was enjoyable it was fast-paced and if you if you're looking for that fast-paced film because they did have a lot of ground to cover in it yeah so i i agree 99.999 percent with their casting choice with the exception of one and this is one ever since it's
3: gonna be a hot take
1: oh yeah well i mean and i'm pretty sure a lot of people share this Uh uh-huh um, but honestly, I don't believe that Michael Gambon was a good Dumbledore. Personally, uh. you know, when I read Dumbledore in the books, yeah, he is. There is a depth of wisdom, but also a lot of a lot of feeling behind him, a lot of emotion, and I don't think Michael Gambon especially as it got later on in the series, could convey that in the same way, what Dumbledore was. And like one thing that always comes to mind whenever I think about it was uh, in um, uh, Order of the Phoenix, okay? Uh The scene in the courtroom where he's trying to convince Cornelius Fudge that Uh uh, he who must not be named is backed. Uh And Michael Gambone's Dumbledore gets flustered. I implore you, look at reason, Cornelius!
2: Cornelius, I implore you to see reason. The evidence that the Dark Lord has returned is incontrovertible. He stopped.
0: In the matter of Harry Potter, the Lord clearly states that magic may be used before muggles in life threatening situations.
2: Laws can be changed if necessary, Dumbledore. Clearly, it's become practice to hold a full criminal trial to deal with a simple matter of underage magic.
1: When in actuality, that is like a complete 180 from what Dumbledore was in the books. Like, complete 180 where where Dumbledore was like, look, I have given you the facts. If you don't want to see them, then there is a problem. Mm -hmm. We will have to go our separate ways. I will do what I see as fit. You do what you see as fit. But you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Not this almost begging and pleading for a power figure to see what's going on.
0: Well, this brings and me to, if you don't mind my interrupting, no, this brings me to something that I wanted to share about my rewatch reaction, yeah. which was... Uh, sorry, i kind <laughs> no,
1: sorry. No, the no, 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 no,
0: no, no, no. I wanna I wanna come back to what you said, but when I rewatched it, one of the first one of the things that I noticed in this rewatch that I hadn't really in the past was how little time how little screen time is spent on the broader battle. You know, yeah. the 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 movie, almost the the vast majority of the movie, I wanna say at least two thirds, if not three quarters of the movie, takes place during the Battle of Hogwarts. Oh. Right. Yeah, when yeah. the forces of uh when the forces of darkness and the forces of goodness are clashing and battling mm-hmm. resulting in many, many fatalities, uh, you know, including the ones listed in the recap, as well as like what was the name of the the girl who Lavender called Brown. Lavender Brown? Yep. Like Wanwan, you know. Yep. She dies. You know these tragic the funny thing deaths. Is that
1: that's not even that's not even necessarily canon. Yeah. In, you know it, that she dies. Yeah. It's not canon. It's actually unknown.
0: Right. Right. Um, well, you know, move the the movies movie canon, being it looks being like she, such yes. a being such a visual media. You know, it, it looks to. But one of the things that I thought about was I wonder how much of the fact that so much of the battle because the what struck me when watching it was the movie really focuses all of its time and attention on the main three mm-hmm. on Harry, Ron and Hermione. Like those three are on screen pretty much the whole time yes. and it does not it does not go broader except for some uh a couple of Iconic exceptions like Neville at the bridge, yeah, you know, with the with the werewolves, like, and ne- yeah, you know, like, and that kind of thing. Bring it, <laughs> it's yeah, it's like, what you and, gonna uh, do?
2: What you gonna do? Yeah, you and who's on me.
0: And the, I love that the, scene, by the way. The initial placement of all the adults, so mm-hmm. like you know, the Oors, we're gonna shackle Bolt, and the other guy goes to this mm-hmm. side, and then the the Weasley twins are over here, and they have a moment. But there are these moments; those are all the moments like setting up for the battle. But then in the battle, basically, the only time you see the greater battle is when Ron and Ron, Hermione, and Harry run through it. Yeah. That's really the only time you get to see it. And and it got me thinking, I wonder how much of that was specifically a directorial choice and how much of that had to do with the idea that this is a children's movie. And knowing that that's kids would point, watch yeah. this movie and probably kids younger than the PG-13 that it calls for. Yeah. I wonder if that was if that if that awareness informed that choice as well I mean, as there's just so much going on. There there's is, so yeah, much story yeah. to tell that it's more efficient to just stick with the main characters whose, whose actions drive the story. So I, all of that works together, but it did get me thinking. And mm. that brings me back to the complaint that you had about Dumbledore in order of the Phoenix with the whole, uh, like appealing emotionally to the wizengamot. How much of that is they parted from canon from the unflappably wise Dumbledore Mm -hmm. who probably saw it coming that Cornelius Fudge would not have the strength of character Mm. to face reality and do what was hard and right as opposed to what was easy, which is one of Dumbledore's famous quotes. I wonder if because these were movies that were going to be for children... And in 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 a novel you have a lot more that you could you can do through narration. Right, right. Whereas in a movie you have you to convey what's going on more mm-hmm. efficiently and through broader uh you know broader actions. I wonder if the choice to make Dumbledore seem flustered and seem agitated I wonder how much of that was. That's true. We need to communicate to children what's going how on. How serious it how is. How serious yeah. this is, even though Dumbledore in the book acted differently. You know what I mean? I wonder how much point. of just the nature of movie making and considering the audience had and, a had a role to play in that, and
1: also considering the actor too, because each actor has their own way of doing things. Now it's funny that you mentioned that because I one of the things I was thinking about. Uh, when watching it was in the scene inside of Gringotts with the dragon uh-huh. and the bank manager there, the goblin uh-huh. He's he, he, under the imperious curse. He's sitting there trying to shake the, you know, uh-huh. the invisible clankers and the dragons just like, you know, what roasts him. Uh-huh. And you're saying it, it's a movie meant for, you know, that that's probably going to have more of a demographic of young children than. What a, a similar, you know, PG thirteen movie would have but
0: the way it's but done. I mean he's engulfed done, yes. in flames, yes. but then you don't see like a smoking charred corpse of a goblin <laughs> sitting there. It's just yes. he's in, engulfed in flames, and then it cuts back to those watching this going, Oh yeah. my gosh, did you see what happened?
1: Like, dude, that was that was messed up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then the scene inside of uh same vein. Scene inside of the uh Room of Requirement. When they're flying out, and the fiend fire is chasing them, uh-huh. and the the replacement crab falls <laughs> into the fire, uh-huh. and I, I I do like that there is the a very mild redemption arc in this with, with Malfoy with Draco Malfoy yeah. uh, the fact that he's standing behind everybody at the final battle of Hogwarts yeah. he's standing behind them and it wasn't until his parents were you know. Like, come on, Draco.
0: Well, I, I, you know what?
1: He he hesitated. He hesitated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I much prefer that redemption arc in the movie over the redemption, quote unquote, redemption arc in the the book, which was more of, all right, we're, you know, we're at a ceasefire now. Yeah. We're no longer in open hostilities. Yeah. Draco being a much more complex character. Yeah. At the same time, I did not like the way that they handled that scene where where Snape had called the entirety of Hogwarts into the great great hall. And, um, you know, McGonagall was like, you can escort all of the Slytherins out of the castle. Students
2: out of bed. Students in the corridor. They are supposed to be out of bed, you blithering idiot. Oh, sorry, Mom. As it happens, Mr. Filch, your arrival is most opportune. If you would, I would like you, please,
1: to lead Miss Parkinson and the rest of Slytherin House from the hall.
2: Exactly where is it I'll be leading them to, Mom? The dungeons would do.
1: Whoa. You know, there. It. it
2: yeah, that, did, that it yeah,
1: demonizes, it. continues to reinforce that. That disharmony between the four houses, you know, it's like no, we know you Slytherins are a bunch of you know little uh, they're, they're cheats and and your 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 um traitors to the, the magical community. Get out, you know. I didn't like that, but. I did like a lot of the other parts of the movie, yeah. Like the Draco redemption that
0: that, arc. Definitely, that, uh, that definitely that that definitely that rubbed me a little. Yeah. There was some friction there. I'm glad I wasn't the only I one. Think, but I think I I I forgave it for movie storytelling efficiency. They, yes. Efficiency. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of, because it would have, it would have taken too much time and it would have dragged the, the pacing of the story. Yeah. If, if they had been like, all right, now we're going to divide you Slytherins into those who are with us and those who are against us and all of that kind of stuff. You know, there's no, uh, I, su- I suppose maybe with some good writing, there could have yeah. been something, but maybe four seconds
1: more of dialogue. Yeah. I just, I just, just
0: took that as, I just took that as like, taking the easy way out storytelling yeah. was to keep things moving. Yeah. But what what's interesting is the other, another note that I made when I rewatched this was I had completely forgotten how crucial to the way the movie tells the story is Harry's decision to save Draco from the room of recovery because they could have left all three oh, of those Slytherins to there, die. Yeah. They could, you know, yes. easily, and it was, and it was, it was Harry specifically who was like, "We can't leave them in yeah. there," and Ron's like, "Really?" and he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> we joking, have to go right? get them," and uh, <laughs> and so they turn their brooms around and they they pick up the the other two Slytherins. We can't leave
2: them. He's joking, right? Harry I'm going to kill you
0: But I had forgotten how crucial a decision that yes. is because it's Narcissa who goes to confirm Harry's death for Voldemort yes. and Narcissa whispers to Harry is Draco alive Is he alive? And when Harry nods, that's when Narcissa is willing, because Nar- it's it's been clear through the series of the books, Narcissa's always been about Draco more than anything else. Yeah, and the fact that Harry is able to honestly, you know, look her in the eye and be like, "Yeah, he's alive because I saved his because ass." Because I saved his ass. Um, that's that's a you know. Wow. Then that's- she. Then she. Then she turns to Voldemort and, and lies to his face and says, yeah, he's dead. You know, and that uh, and, and that is such and a big deal.
1: They, well, they, there's there's a lot of complex, very complex emotions, even even in the movie, like in that scene. And, and yeah, that's one of those things. And kicking myself for not recognizing that even through reading the books is that the only reason that he's able to honestly answer yes is because he saved draco's life draco i don't think that that is lost on him at all in the no. movie yeah. in the book i think it kind of is you kind of see a little bit of it yeah you know yeah. like when they're under the invisibility invisibility cloak running around and draco's like i'm on your side i'm on your side
2: yeah, yeah. and
1: ron just goes you know punches yeah. him in the nose and he's like what the heck
0: as you know yeah um, yeah. Yeah, and and in the movies from Half-Blood Prince yeah. where Snape takes the the you know where Snape makes the unbreakable vow mm-hmm. to takes to take Draco's place if to, or to help Draco out if he can't fulfill his mission to kill Dumbledore, you know, I think at that point Draco's like, "Oh, there are people who are willing to you know, to put themselves on the line for me. Yeah. And and in in a yes. real sense, I think the movies suggest that Draco's redemption, seeds of it begin yeah. at least at, at the latest there, if not even a little bit earlier, in recognizing Draco's ability to recognize maybe, maybe, maybe Voldemort's way. And maybe evil is not what I want. Maybe mm. there's something that appeals to me about the idea of self-sacrifice, the idea of you know putting someone else before yourself. Yeah. And that sort of that sort of brings me to my last note that I had on this movie, which was struck this time, perhaps even a little bit more than in previous times. You know, the first couple of times that I watched the movie. It's all about the emotion of these eight films coming to a climax, the story itself reaching its fulfillment, the what will happen with Voldemort and, and, and who dies and who doesn't. And, and that sort of thing. The, the, I think the, I really appreciate the fact that the filmmakers, just as JK Rowling was, uh, did not, did not shy away from the reality of death in conflicts like yes, this, yeah. you know, between good and evil, there are, there are going to be good people who die. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, I respect that. But then the other the other thing that, that I noticed was the name of the movie and Harry's relationship to them as opposed to Voldemort's. And how interest I found it really interesting and really it's, in a, in a certain way, it's even more important that Harry rejects the Deathly Hallows, then he defeats Voldemort in a certain sense. Because hmm. you gotta wonder, in an alternate multiversal kind of looking at Harry Potter to mix franchises a little bit, um, <laughs> what if Harry had defeated Voldemort and then embraced the Deathly Hallows and took up and became the master of death? Because throughout the course of the story, mm-hmm. Harry has all three He's got yeah. the Elder Wand. He's got the Resurrection Stone. He's got the Invisibility Cloak. With these, the 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 lore of the Deathly Hallows is: with all three, you are the master of death. You are immortal, and that was why Voldemort was always in. You know, I mean, the whole Horcrux thing was he was in search of immortality. That's why he wanted the Elder Wand and wanted power over everything. He wanted right, to be right. the master of death. Harry could have been and re- and refused the the invisibility cloak he's had throughout the whole series and then he you know mm-hmm. and and I don't even remember when that got lost um but then the in this movie specifically the resurrection it's implied anyway that that it is the resurrection stone that is in the snitch that yeah. that Dumbledore leaves for him and yet well, he drops he it.
1: it he does say the resurrection stone When it opens up,
0: when yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So more than implied, it's told. Mm -hmm. He drops it in the forest, leaving it behind, Mm -hmm. um, knowing that the only way this works is if he dies, and not knowing if you know how the resurrection works, et cetera. And then the explicit breaking of the Elder Wand at the end and throwing it away, so that the so that the 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 Hallows are are lost again. Well and truly done. Yeah,
1: it it is well and truly done. Yeah, because someone could theoretically find the stone yeah you know theoretically get the the wand and you know but the the breaking of the wand i think was probably the best thing that could have happened with that yeah you know yeah so no i agree i definitely agree that 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 explicit rejection of it i don't know
0: if and if, what to make of that you know what yeah, i mean The what yeah. what is that about in so far as like the the that it it at 17 could you have made that decision you know the 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 wisdom and the humility mm. to recognize that that much power probably shouldn't be in anybody's hands yeah uh, you know what i mean and on the one hand i totally understand your question you know at that age would i have no no but if you think about it from the age from from the time he was 11 until he's now 17 17, his entire life has been defined by voldemort's quest for immortality yeah as opposed to his own quest for family for friendship for belonging for love Mm. for uh you know for um Identity, you know, Harry and Voldemort are wonderfully mirror images of each other the yin yin yin. throughout the whole series. And so yeah. in a real sense, Harry's half of his life, you know, we talked about half the actors' lives were in these movies. Half of Harry Potter, the character's life, is is defined by right. being in opposition to Voldemort's quest for power. And yeah. therefore, yeah. it is sort of logical that at 17... Harry would have the wisdom forged from these years of battle and years of pain and sorrow and suffering, which they never shied away from. I mean, Harry's (laughs) life, so much of Harry's life sucked, you know, with the amount of pain and isolation and everything else.
1: At the same time, he still has that room to make those very, very immature teenage mistakes. Yeah. Like the, the whole thing with Cho Chang. Oh, yeah. That was sure. uh, very yeah. much teenage mistakes learning and the, about the,
0: relationships. Yeah. The,
1: in the books where he's got that, that kind of nobility, you know, that, that chivalry where I must do this on my own, even though deep down he knows he can. not
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That, that's that's those, right. Those that's dumb right.
1: mistakes that, that only pride can
0: bring. And also the, the fact that for me, for, for all his years at Hogwarts, the number of rules that they broke, In order for everything to happen the way they happened, Some of that was necessary and heroic. Some of it was just kids being stupid kids, making mistakes, breaking rules in order to find out what was (laughs) right and wrong. And sometimes that rule breaking really bit them in the behind with with, uh, some of the suffering and pain and sorrow they had to endure. You yeah. know, I mean, you look at look at Sirius's death at the end of Order of the Phoenix, mm. you know, in many ways. It's like, how avoidable would that have been? You know, I don't know. I don't, that's I think that's 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 a, that's yeah. one that could be argued. Yeah. Anything else? That was that was all I wanted to share about about my I, rewatching this movie. Anything else come to your mind?
1: <laughs> I, I could go on for for a long time about it, <laughs> but I, I ultimately will I watch it again? Yes. Am I am I gonna have the same feelings about it in the future? I might. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I love I love the the ability to wrap everything up. I like mm-hmm. I like the way that they handled things better in the movies. One of the things that I I really particularly appreciate that they handled better was the whole Snape Lily dynamic. Even though they yeah. crammed it into the space of about two and a half minutes, yeah. In the books, I don't think it necessarily conveys how severus really felt
0: well how much of and that was that was the last as thing i was going to say the last thing i was going to say was let's give a shout out to a to a handful of amazing performances yeah i mean alan let's rickman, talk about alan rickman alan rickman i mean
1: i i don't think that there's a movie he's done that i have not been impressed with yeah by grab thar's hammer that's, right. that's right that's right or or even dogma or anything like that yeah. um Gary Oldman, amazing performer. And yeah. even though he only had a pretty much cameo in that. Yeah. They, yeah. But the acting And how about the so fact phenomenal.
0: that the fact that Molly Weasley finally got her moment. Yeah. You know, yes. Not my daughter.
2: <laughs> not my daughter, you bitch. <laughs>
0: And then just just vaporizes it, yes. Bellatrix Lestrange. That every time I see that, I'm like, yes. <laughs> and you know what? And McGonagall, McGonagall yes. having just just the you know throughout the series, She's there got were that all, snark these, in her. The, all these hints yeah. about how much fun a person Minerva McGonagall is. It, yes. But we had to see her as teacher for her to have those moments of like. I've always wanted to do that spell, you know. Yes, and
1: then that, <laughs> that sideways glance that, that Molly Weasley had. Uh huh.
0: Um... Uh-huh. You do realize, of course,
2: he can't keep up you know who indefinitely.
1: That doesn't mean we can't delay him.
2: And his name is Voldemort. So, yes, you might as well use it. He's going to try to kill you either way. Pierre Totem Locomotor!
1: Duty to our school I've always wanted to use that spell and, and you know that there are so many phenomenal actors in this they did a phenomenal job and I have to give them all the props in the world for it because it could not have been easy especially what three different directors. Um I think it was it more four? than that. I four? think it was at least four. Yeah, four. Because it was so Chris
0: Columbus did different. the first two, then Alfonso Cuarón Yeah. Uh David Yates. I think
1: David Yates did, did the then, last three. Yeah. I think he
0: did the last three. I don't remember who did who did I don't remember who did Order of the Phoenix. Or what Goblet I mean, of Fire. I yeah. think they had Goblet yeah. of Fire had a different director, so it might have been as many as five.
1: Yeah. So I mean it, it could not have been easy.
0: But I mean, um, it was a murderer's row of oh, actors. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was like British acting royalty. Yet, yeah. All right. So we've now come to the chance for me to tell of my origin story and relationship with Harry Potter as a franchise. So, uh, as usually happens, uh, Jeremy and I's origin stories are completely different. <laughs> you, we, we so often, you know, come at these things from, from very different places. So, I became aware of the books. I want to say by the time the second one came out, I learned of them and learned of what a phenomenon it was becoming, And so I bought the books. I bought all the books as they came out because I read the first one and I was like, oh, this, this is instant classic mythic. This will be a part of literature forever, you know, children's literature forever, you know, kind of like Wizard of Oz and Lord of the Rings and and Narnia and that sort of thing. Right. I I recognized that. And so I was obsessed. So I, from the time the, uh, you know, so... I became aware of it when the second book was out. So I bought the first two. And then after that, I bought them the day they came out and read them as fast as possible. I think I took a day off work When Deathly Hallows came out just to just to (laughs) binge the crap out of it. I do. I do remember that when Deathly Hallows came out that morning, you know, books always release on a Tuesday morning. So not only did I take that day off, but I also went to my nearest Barnes and Noble that morning and got in a line. To buy Deathly Hallows before the store opened, did that whole nerdy thing of lining up with all the other folks, uh, you know, many of whom in that line had their wizards' robes on and had their wands out, and you know, we're we're super excited. I did not dress for the occasion, but I was there and in line and bought it the morning it was released, and then, uh, and that has been passed down now. My eldest daughter who is a voracious reader and an aspiring author herself, read the, the whole series. She read the entire series through at age, I think at age 11, about the, about the same time that, you know, Harry starts his journey. And by the time she reached high school, She had read the series seven times. Wow! She she, her goal one of her goals was to read the seven books seven times. Pulling on that mystical seven sevens kind of a thing going on there. Searched her room for any horcruxes. (laughs) Well, she does have. She is my child who uh, has a wand collection. Who uh, and who um, has visited the Wizarding World at Universal multiple times mm-hmm. uh as special trips that she requested. And uh and now my youngest daughter, my fourth child, so that was my eldest daughter's my second child, and then my fourth child, my my youngest daughter, she's now working her way through the books. Okay. And she's not quite as obsessive about it, but she is working her way through. And both of those daughters I have read The Harry Potter books to them in addition to them reading on their own as all the movies came out of course we we watched watched them them in the theaters theaters as they came out and by the time it was over because my daughter was well into her obsession when the movies were all coming out Mm -hmm. she we we did that together as a family and then uh and we've even as the movies have hit like 5 year anniversary, 10 year anniversary, and they're put back into the big onto the big screen. My eldest daughter and I have gone and seen some of those screenings nice. on the big screen nice. as well. Nice. And so that's fun. And then the last thing I would say about my relationship with this franchise is As I've mentioned in previous episodes, for years I worked for the Catholic Church. My title was Director of Faith Formation, so I was kind of like the principal of the Sunday school for any secular uh, listeners out there. As such, I was working for a church and very involved in the Catholic Church at the time these came out. And then afterwards, as the movies were all coming out and everything... And as more conservative folks out there went through kind of a moral panic about mm-hmm. the occult, oh, about witchcraft and wizardry, yeah. about all of that, just like you discussed when we had our episode about Dungeons and Dragons, the another season one, yes. Two Guys in a Franchise episode, you should check out Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Shameless plug. <laughs> just They're as safe. we, yeah. you talked about the moral panic of your parents being very mm-hmm. wary of... Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. I had many many parents as I taught in Catholic schools and then worked in Catholic churches I had many parents come to me and say do you think it's okay if I let my kids read the Harry Potter series books or watch the Harry Potter movies it's such a big thing and I'm not sure and I would always defend the series uh, both the books and the movies I would defend it and I would and I would say heck yes you should let your children do it because i never found any intent in the books or the movies to proselytize or convert or confuse anyone about the idea that magic is real and that you know that that that, that kind of a thing but rather i always found the heart of harry potter the story and the franchise to be about the choices that Harry and his friends make about, especially the choices that Harry makes in who his friends are and who his friends are go all the way back to the beginning of which house he wanted to be in and, and Mm -hmm. rejecting Draco and the bullying and the, the elitism of the, the pure blood And in favor of making friends with those who were poor, the Weasleys and those who were of mixed blood, you know, Hermione from the beginning, the values and principles that guided Harry because Harry himself lived in a cupboard and was abused as a child. So he identified Mm -hmm. and the fact that he came out of that with such great empathy and such a great heart. And then to discover at by the end of it, that the moral, the, 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 central morality of the whole story is that that which is most important is self-sacrificial love, it, it, love of friends and family and f- hmm. friends who become your family. That is at the heart of the Christian message of what Christianity should be about. It should be about the idea that our job as humans is to love each other and to love each other, even at great cost to ourselves even if standing up for what is right the fact that there is a right and a wrong number 1 that in and of itself is a is is a christian tenet and then to be willing to stand up for what is right even at the cost of one's life to stand against oppression and uh you know and and racism all of the things that that Voldemort stood for that is enormously christian the fact that at the heart that Harry Potter dies and is brought back to life mm. dies and r- and rises again is enormously Christian in its symbolism. And therefore I always argued, I said, do not judge a book by panicky cover of, <laughs> of those who don't know it, right. read the books, watch the movies, and then listen for that heart of the story, the heart of the message, yeah. the principles, the values that are, that are, that are espoused and taught. Those are values that we want all of our children to embrace. Mm. <laughs> Moving on to our final segment. Yes. Uh, it'll go pretty quickly. We return to the sorting hat. Oh no. The sorting hat. So here's here's my fun segment for you. My challenge for you, sir. Yes. Sir. If you were the sorting hat, where would you sort Captain Jean-Luc Picard?
1: Oh my. That that's a tough one between Ravenclaw and Gryffindor.
0: Uh-huh. You gotta pick. I know. There's yeah. a little bit lightning round. We gotta go. Okay.
1: Uh I'm gonna go with Gryffindor.
0: Gryffindor. Yes. Worf, son of Moog. Tricky, right? That is a tricky one.
1: <laughs> I'm actually I'm gonna I'm gonna buck the trend here and call it Slytherin, actually.
0: All right. Yeah. I, I, I see that. I respect that. Yes. Data.
1: Data. Oh, he is Ravenclaw all the way. <laughs> Ravenclaw all the no, way. No, no Yes.
0: James T. Kirk.
1: Uh, oh. I'm gonna have to go with Slytherin on that one.
0: Really? Yes. Interesting. See, I would have gone Gryffindor. Why know, Slytherin? So,
1: so the reason for Slytherin is because The ambition? He, the ambition being yes, the
0: youngest captain.
1: But also his willingness to push against Break rule, the rules. <laughs> break break the rules when it suited him. Uh-huh.
0: Uh huh. Um Kobayashi for- Maru, anybody?
1: That's exactly it. The Kobayashi <laughs> Maru was exactly the deciding factor, and that's exactly why I'm going Slytherin. I, all right, all right, all right,
0: I see it. I see it. I see it. I respect that. Leonard McCoy.
1: Um, I would have to say Ravenclaw.
0: No, really? Yeah. All right, all right. I would argue Hufflepuff. Yeah, it was I a tough Hufflepuff. one between Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. Yeah.
1: He's a—he's more studious. He tends—he likes to—he likes his learning a little too much.
0: Uh, okay, so all that's right. my opinion. Han Solo.
1: Han Solo. Oh God, he is definitely that borderline between uh, <laughs> between Slytherin and Gryffindor. But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go with Gryffindor on that one.
0: All right, Leia Organa.
1: Leia. She's Hufflepuff.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. She All right. That's R2D2.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I, I'm going to go with Hufflepuff on that one, too.
0: Really? Yeah. Interesting. He just kind of
1: goes along with things. He's, all right. He's all right. he's all about just being with everybody. All right, all right. He just goes along with them.
0: Indiana Jones.
1: Indiana Jones. Oh, God, he is Gryffindor all the way. <laughs> he is 100% Gryffindor.
0: Okay. Clark Kent.
1: Whew. Oh, my God. You know, I'm going to go with Gryffindor. That's an easy choice. All right,
0: Gryffindor. all right. Jimmy Olsen.
1: Oh. <laughs> Can I pass? <laughs> Can I pass?
0: Diana Prince.
1: Wonder Woman. Oh yes, yes, Diana Prince. Hmm. That that's that's a solid Gryffindor right there.
0: Oh yeah, all right. Yeah. See, I would have gone Ravenclaw with really? the whole antiquities expert yeah. Yeah, and yeah, uh, but, knowing myth and lore.
1: But also, but also her entire background was about being the upright hero and being brave for bravery's sake.
0: Okay, so, all right, yeah. all right. Okay. Aragorn, son of Arathorn.
1: I am going Ravenclaw on that one.
0: Interesting. Yeah. All right. I'm
1: going Ravenclaw because because he is so learned. Okay. I mean, okay. His, his knowledge spans human, elf, dwarf. That's true. So much, That's not true. Not so much hobbits. Okay, all he all knows right, of all them, right. but his his right. okay. knowledge is so vast. But Sam Gamgee. Sam Gamgee. Oh, he is a sweet hufflepuff.
0: You think i think he's a sweetheart really yes all right all right all right see i would have gone straight up gryffindor because really? he, he basically saves the day he's the bravest he does, but brave um, walking but right up to mount doom and being like all right toss it in master but Crotto. he wouldn't
1: he wouldn't have done it on his own he would not have gone on oh all right. So, all right all right all right but see, he see, is he is loyal to a fault I Which see. is the Hufflepuff wave. Yeah. Loyal to a Loyal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, you, you turned me around on that one. Okay. All right. Tony Stark. <laughs>
1: Tony Stark is Slytherin. He <laughs> is 100% Slytherin, man. As All if right. there's any question. <laughs>
0: I, I got that. I got that. Happy Hogan.
1: Oh, man. I, I'm going to have to go with Hufflepuff. On I think you, you made yes. the argument a second ago yeah. that, that leads that us to that. loyalty to the fault. How yes. about
0: Peter Parker? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough one. That one
1: I'm going Ravenclaw.
0: Yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. You, you yeah. agree? You, I yeah, I see that. I see that. It's it's Absolutely. either Ravenclaw or Gryffindor. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last two, are you ready? Okay, yes. Doc Brown and Marty McFly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Doc Brown is definitely uh Ravenclaw.
0: Yeah, I see that. Uh-huh. Uh
1: Marty McFly, that's that's a tough choice between Gryffindor and Hufflepuff right there. Yeah. You know, because yeah. he's got that loyalty, but he's also kind of foolhardy brave. Yeah. But then again, Slytherin also plays into that one too. So you know what? I'm calling it, I'm going Gryffindor. Yeah,
0: yeah. that was that was my choice too. Yes. That was my choice too. All right. And that only leaves you and I. What house would you put me in? Um I don't know. See, here's the thing. <laughs> See, there's there's I hmm, it's a tough one. I think for you, it's for me, for you, it's between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw mm. because because you love to learn and you love knowledge and to know stuff. And so that's why I suspect you would put yourself in Ravenclaw, but I would put you more in Gryffindor because I think the way you just you face the world, the way you take care of your family, the mm. way you the way you live your life, the wow. values that you espouse I think I think bravery and and protectiveness <laughs> and all that.
1: Yeah, you you are scary spot on. I would oh, yeah. <laughs> put myself in Ravenclaw. Uh-huh. But the sorting hat said Gryffindor. <laughs> so <laughs>
0: I am the sorting hat. Thank yeah, you very
1: much. Yeah. So How about for, for me. You, for you it's it's a similar kind of difficult choice between hufflepuff and ravenclaw oh interesting because you are very studious but you are also that very loyal Uh Uh uh-huh i know your loyalty to your family you are like 120 percent loyal Uh. um but i'm gonna go with ravenclaw yeah
0: Yeah. okay all right
1: why were you sorted
0: I was sorted into Gryffindor. Really, <laughs> I was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. I think, uh, and for me personally, it was for my thinking about myself was between those two because uh, Ravenclaw is an obvious one because I am such the nerd who oh, loves yeah, to you're learn a, you're and a bookworm. you know bookworm total yeah. total. But uh, but as far as the bravery, my my parents always marveled at my bravery because there's there are very few things that i've wanted that i haven't gone and tried for mm. even if i looked ridiculously to do them like yeah. kind of to have the bravery to go out and just you know and just seek what you want you mm. know and to, to to go on that okay. grand quest of uh what's my life supposed to be about and who am i supposed to be with and okay all that i see stuff.
1: that i so. definitely see that yeah next episode Jer
0: yes announcement time announcement time for those of you who might be new to two guys in a franchise joining us in season two at this point in most episodes we would spin the wheel of random episode selection in order to choose a particular segment of a franchise, like in this episode it was Deathly Hallows Part 2 among the movies, of other franchises we might choose a particular episode of a TV show or a particular movie within a within a l- larger movie franchise. We would spin the wheel that would randomly tell us which piece specifically mm-hmm. of a franchise we would discuss so that you, the listeners, could understand If you'd like, ahead of time, watch uh, that particular piece of media and therefore be Mm -hmm. informed and at least in spirit, if not in calling or emailing, uh, participate in our conversation about that piece of media. However, this episode, we are not going to spin the wheel because we are going to return to and conclude a cliffhanger Plot point, a a little piece of business that we did not conclude from last season, which is the Lord of the Rings trilogy.
1: What's Horcrux, precious? (laughs) Uh, We're going to be concluding with The Return of the King.
0: The extended edition. The extended edition. So four (laughs) hours of viewing, uh, for your pleasure, uh, that we will be discussing next episode because... Shameless plug and final for this episode, maybe. Go back to season one and listen to our double feature episode in which we live recorded an episode while watching Lord of the Rings trilogy extended editions for The Fellowship of the Ring and The Two Towers.
1: All right.
0: Would you like me to do the credits for this episode, (laughs) Jeremy? If you would like to learn more about Two Guys and a Franchise, browse our episode catalog, or comment upon any of our episodes, including this one. You can visit our website at Two Guys and a Franchise. That is T W O G U Y S A N D A Franchise.com.
1: <laughs> I was waiting for that. <sighs>
0: And learn more, or leave a comment, or send us an email by emailing feedback at two guys a Not going to spell anymore. you can figure it out. <laughs> feedback at two guys a We are, I am Jerry.
1: I am Jeremy. <laughs> and
0: we both hope you have a oh, nerdy Gary. week.